I want to begin this morning by telling you a little story of something that happened uh, several years ago. Pearl and I were at the Elkhorn Resort, uh, south edge of Riding Mountain National Park. Uh, the next morning we were going to drive through the park to a wedding close to Dauphin, Dwayne and Arlene's uh, kids, Marshall and Beth's wedding. Uh, we were driving our little gray car at the time, the one that uh, ultimately became our daughter Tara's car. And in the morning when we turn onto the highway in the park, um, I immediately see a sign on the road as we're turning north in the park that reads 80 kilometers per hour. I'm smart enough to know that that might be a problem for me. And so I, I'm used to driving 100 or, uh, or right around there. So I click my cruise in at 80 kilometers an hour. I am not going to get a ticket. Well, we're driving through the park and we're going up and down the hills and around the curves and the cruise on my little gutless car is uh, surging and braking and uh, I, I get tired of that. And so I turned off the cruise and I just drove. Well, not too far down the road, I'm coming around a curve and down a hill and you guessed it. There he was, a police officer parked at the bottom of the hill, and as soon as I saw him, I looked at my speedometer, and I am going 105. Sure enough, he pulls me over, and he gives me a ticket, only $375. And I am in the wrong. I was going 105 in an 80 kilometer an hour zone. I shared that with a few people in that area and they encouraged me to go to the justice of the peace and plead guilty with explanation. Uh, so that's what I did. I had never done this before. I find out where the official offices are and I found there was one in Steinbeck and so I drove over there and I walk in, I walk up to the desk, and a lady greets me and asks how she can help me. And I show her my ticket, and I say to her, well, I got this ticket a while back, and I am here to ask for mercy. And she said, well, that isn't exactly the right terminology, but I understand what you mean. What you want to do, sir, is plead guilty with explanation. And I said, yes. Many of you are aware that we are in the process of working... By the way, what's the right uh, way to pronounce that word? Uh, process or process? I pronounced it process when we were down in the States talking to somebody and they reprimanded me severely. It's not process, it's process. And so, if I, from here on in, it's process for me. If that's wrong, forgive me, uh, correct me again. If you reprimand me, whatever you, whatever you need to. Many of you are, sorry, I got derailed there for a second. Many of you are aware that we are in the process of working our way through the beatitude statements that are found in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the beginning of what we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount. 
I hope that those of you that have been here for several of those messages or you've listened online to them, and I want to encourage you to do, continue to do that during the summer months. Um, I think we're pretty much back up to, uh, up to uh, on, uh, caught up with uploading them. I want to encourage you to listen to them online if you, if you can't be here on a given Sunday. Uh, I hope those of you that have kind of been following along, you've been kind of beginning to catch a bit of a framework that we've been building for, um, for these messages. And you've kind of been catching some of the key uh, aspects. Now let me just quickly review a few of the key aspects to, that pertain to this entire little section here in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. We began by looking at the fact that Jesus comes to introduce a new kingdom. Uh, and the main truth that we took note of there is that this new kingdom is different. It's different than the kingdom of this earth, the kingdom of this world. It has different characteristics and different qualities. It is a different kind of kingdom from anything that his listeners were associated with in their world, in their worldview, in, in their kingdom of their world and probably very different from the kingdom of the world that we live in uh, that that tends to speak about power and being more powerful than others and better than others and richer than others and smarter than others and faster than others and stronger than others and Jesus comes and he says the kingdom that I am introducing is completely different than that it operates on a whole new wavelength it doesn't Think like that, and so we have begun to call it the upside down kingdom. It's a different kingdom. From there, we began looking at these beatitude statements, and 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 the fact that each one of them begins with the word "blessed." Blessed are, and we took note of the fact that this word "blessed" means supernatural happiness or fullness, or completeness. And the word that's used in the original language was actually a word that was reserved for the happiness of spiritual beings. Uh, they lived in a world that was much more spiritually aware. And so this word was reserved for the use of, of the happiness, the level of happiness that could only be attained by supernatural or by spiritual beings. And, and, and Jesus, as he's introducing this new kingdom, he's making his listeners aware of the fact that this supernatural happiness is available to you. And that's the other thing that we have taken note of is the fact that this word blessed is a present tense word. It's for the here and now. We're often tempted to believe or think that all of these amazing qualities or characteristics or abilities are reserved for someday when we get to heaven. Oh yes, here it's bad, but someday when we get to heaven, then it's going to be amazing. Then we're going to be blessed. Then we're going to experience this happiness and this fullness and this completeness. And Jesus is trying to tell his listeners, no, this is a present tense opportunity. This can be experienced here and now, this blessedness, this supernatural happiness. Jesse used a, a great slide uh, two weeks ago uh, that really helped us, I think, to kind of get the progression of these Beatitudes. And we're going to put it up there again for you to see and for you to review uh, uh, your memory just a little bit. He reminded us that these Beatitude statements are set up kind of like, like a ladder, like a climb 
into this new kingdom that Jesus is trying to introduce to his listeners, this spiritual kingdom, this upside-down kingdom. And this is very important, a kingdom that is here and now, a kingdom that is intended to be alive and real and relevant in the present tense. And so each beatitude very intentionally kind of takes a step up from the previous beatitude statement. And Jesse said, and he showcased it for us uh, on this slide, that the structure is becoming clearer and clearer as we climb this ladder of beatitude statements that Jesus makes here in Matthew chapter 5. You see, the first three beatitudes are all statements which speak about emptying ourselves, letting go of old kingdom things that we need, we do not need in this new kingdom, things that will be a hindrance, in fact, in this new kingdom, letting go of them, emptying them out of our system in order to be able to fully embrace and be filled with the things that are essential in this new kingdom. And so, first of all, Jesus says we are told or we are invited to be poor in spirit. Stop thinking that you are good enough. Stop thinking that you don't need help. Jesus looked out at the crowd and he saw people that were desperately working and trying to be good enough, to act good enough, to live good enough, to do enough. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who come to a point where they allow themselves to accept the fact that I am not good enough and I will never be good enough and I need help. Blessed are those who can come to that. Emptying of yourself. On the second step or rung of this ladder we looked at the fact that blessed are those who mourn. Letting go of that which is closest to you Letting go of the need to cling to, to grab on to whatever we feel we've lost and to deny that loss and to ignore that loss. And we are invited to acknowledge the loss. Acknowledge the brokenness. Acknowledge the hurt and the pain and the loss. And in that, receive God's peace and comfort in while you are in the pain and the hurt and the struggle. And then the third rung on the ladder, we were told, are invited to be meek, to give up your hunger for power, for strength, for beauty. The world's kingdom tells us that for us to win, someone else must lose, that we need to grab power to put others down in order for us to be built up. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Jesus tells us to let go of that hunger for power, to let go of our hunger to dominate or to gain power. The upside-down kingdom denies this dog-eat-dog kind of, king-of-the-hill kind of mentality. Jesus calls us to voluntarily let go of our power and become willing to become servants, to voluntarily let others Stand in line first. And even then, in this letting go stage of climbing the ladder, in the first 
steps of emptying, Jesus is already calling those people blessed. There's a supernatural happiness connected to emptying yourself. Being at a place where there is complete emptiness. And then I found it very profound what Jesse said, and it's actually a very, very elementary truth. Hunger is a natural result of being empty. I found that profound. In the spiritual sense, and, and as you look at this ladder and, and the, the process of emptying yourself, what would naturally follow when you have completely emptied yourself? Hunger. Hunger and thirst. And so the natural next step is for us to hunger and thirst. And Jesse opened up that fourth beatitude statement a few weeks ago where he invited us to be hungry and thirsty and he reminded us of the fascinating truths of what happens in our bodies when we are hungry and when we are thirsty. That feeling is real. It's universal. It's the same feeling for everybody regardless of where they live, regardless of race or color or social or economic status. It's a universal feeling. Hunger. Thirst. It's fervent. It grabs a hold of you. It's immediate. I need it now. Actually, nothing else matters when I'm hungry. It happened to us this last week one day when we were traveling together with our friends and... Um, and we were talking about different things and discussing something. I forget what it was. And all of a sudden I said, I'm, I'm hungry. Oh, I said, I get grumpy when I'm hungry. Oh, okay, so we're going to look for food. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. It grabs a hold of you when you're hungry and when you're thirsty. It's all you can think about. And so it's the fervent and immediate. And then Jesse also said it's a sign of health when we are Hungry. From there we move on to the Beatitude statement of this morning. And if you were listening to my introduction, you will likely have guessed that it would have something to do with being merciful. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, or for they will be shown mercy. Mercy. Really, if there's anything in the world that I need or that I want from others, from you guys, I want you guys to show me mercy. I want you to be merciful toward me. I make so many mistakes. I do so many things wrong. Please be merciful toward me. And then the question, okay, Darren, so if you want people to be merciful toward you, what does that mean? Well, it's very simple then I need to show mercy to others. Maybe we should even rather say, I need to think mercy. See, these Beatitude statements, all of them are actually not about focusing on doing. We tend to do that very quickly. You know, okay, so how should I do this? What should I do to show this? And the emphasis over and over in these statements is about how we think and so maybe we should rather say, then think mercy. Let your thoughts be saturated with mercy all the time. Merciful. I should be thinking mercy toward others, and I'm going to be bold enough that I, should also, that I, that I would also say thinking mercy 
for myself, toward myself. Maybe by now you're thinking, okay, good, I'm tracking with you, Darren, I like this idea, it's good, I, I, I get it, but how about we spend a minute or two and define mercy? What really is mercy? Now, we were blessed enough to uh, be able to be on this same little trip that Lynn was talking about together with some friends doing some motor biking in the Black Hills. By the way, um, probably I'm behind all the rest of you, but this was my first trip to the Black Hills. Um, some of you have maybe, uh, maybe all of you, but some people I know have been there multiple times. For me, this was a first, and I was captivated by, uh, by God's amazing creation. Um, we did several different trips into different areas, and each day it seemed like there was just something new and amazing again. We did the Badlands one day, we did the Needle's Eye uh, Highway one day, we did, uh, drove out to the Devil's Tower, I think it's called, one day. And just each one of those things, just so unique and so different and so, and so a breathtakingly amazing. Spearfish Canyon, I think that was my, my favorite for as far as a motorbike ride. Uh, truly amazing. In this process... Uh, process, sorry, in this process uh, of doing this trip, um, I'm thinking about this message because I know we're getting home and, and, and within a day or two I need to be ready to, to preach. And so when that happens, sometimes I enlist uh, the help of other people. And so in the process of, of thinking about this, um, I, got, I got to discuss this a little bit with some of the other people that were, that were together with us. And, uh, and I asked the question, you know, what really is mercy. And some other words and concepts came out in the discussion. Some people, you know, the word grace came out. The word kindness came out. And the question was asked, how is mercy different from concepts like kindness or grace? And we struggled a bit around the circle with drawing lines between these words, mercy and kindness and grace. And we could probably throw in a few few other words um, into there, until someone came up with, a, with an idea um, that actually kind of resonated with me, and they said that this mercy thing actually has something to do with someone being in, in, in some type of a position of power over someone else. And as we discussed that a little further and brought in a few more scriptures, it began to resonate with me more and more. I think there's actually something significant here. Mercy will always, uh, I think I can use the word, always include someone being in a position of power, some type of power over someone else. Someone kind of being under someone else because of whatever circumstances. And I think in a few minutes you're going to see what I mean. And then uh, we get home Friday and yesterday uh, I was roofing and I asked some of the people on our team, um, what do you think is the difference between... See, I get other people to help me with messages. I, I hope that's okay. What do you think is the difference between grace and mercy? And here goes. This, this is brilliant, especially for a roofing crew to be able to come up with this. This young adult on our team, and she may and may not be here this morning. Um, she may and may not have been a part of the worship team this morning. Um, said, this is... This is this is good. Well, grace is getting something you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting something that you do deserve. This is good. And I kind of felt like maybe I had heard that somewhere before. And maybe some of you 
have heard that somewhere before. But this really works. And it works with my introduction uh, illustration about me getting a ticket and asking for mercy. I deserved the ticket. I deserved to pay the fine. But I was hoping that someone above me, in authority over me, would show me mercy and not give me what I deserved. When you are in a position where you have the power to extend to someone something that they need or want, which they cannot provide for themselves. And so we are called to be people that think and act mercy toward others. So let's take a few minutes and uh, look briefly at two sections in the Bible that challenge us to be merciful. And to stay balanced, we're going to look at one Old Testament, one New Testament. The section in the Old Testament that I want to just briefly highlight for you is uh, Micah, found in Micah chapter 6. It's somewhat of a common verse or section of verses. Many of you will have seen it at some point in the past. And uh, so Micah chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. Uh, there's a question being asked here. And these people have sinned. These people have sinned, and they're asking God a question. The question is, is this, or this is the way they say it. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? And so I've sinned. I, I've transgressed. I've done something I shouldn't have done. I deserve punishment. Uh, in that situation, with those circumstances... How should I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted? What will it take for me to receive mercy from God after the fact that I have done something wrong? And then the writer makes some possible suggestions. And the writer says, well, should I bring burnt offerings? Should I bring calves a year old? Thousands of rams? See, he's kind of building. He's saying, how little can I get away with bringing? But he's, but he's building suggesting more and more, all the way up to, well, is it going to take my firstborn? Would I have to sacrifice my firstborn in order for God to forgive my transgressions and my sins? What will it take for God to show me mercy? And then in verse 8 comes the answer. This is what it says. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here's the answer. God wants from you, from me, from us, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. No sacrifice, no doing specifically. Act justly. It's a common thread throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, over and over the people are, are kind of reprimanding and there's many books in the Bible that are calling people back to God and almost in every case the people have two uh, or, or two specific sins or, or categories of sins are highlighted. One of them is usually a, a whole mess of sexual sins and the second one is the sin of, of exploiting, taking advantage of the poor, the fatherless and the widow, the ones that are already walking around in life with a heavy load, a little bit of what we saw here this morning. Act justly. Be fair with treat people. Treat people, all people, regardless of race or sex or social or economic status, as equals. God's heart is a heart that wants justice, fairness, 
equality, enough for everyone before extravagance for anyone. You will see that all over the Bible in the Old and in the New Testaments. Act justly. And then he says, love mercy. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if it's significant or not, but I'm intrigued by the fact that it doesn't say to act mercifully. It says, love mercy. This morning I've been using the, the words, think mercy. Have mercy in your heart and in your head. It plays right into our bad, beatitude thing where I've been saying over, or we've been saying over and over, the beatitudes are not so much about how you act as they are about how you think. And even way back in the Old Testament, God says, if you want mercy, if you want to be forgiven, if you want me to not give you what you deserve, then begin thinking mercy toward others. It was so crazy. We were traveling home from our holidays. We were on a pickup truck together. Um, and we were in the middle of this very discussion about mercy. And while we're talking about this, while we're in the middle of this mercy discussion, listen to this. We're in a construction zone and we're following a pilot vehicle. We're actually in a long line of people following a pilot vehicle. You've all been there, especially now in summertime. Suddenly, out of nowhere, here comes this vehicle. Uh, he moves out into the passing lane and he passes a long line of us people right up to the front to the pilot vehicle. I mean, this is crazy. You just don't do that. Especially when the reason for the pilot vehicle is the fact that they've been doing this oiling on the passing lane and they've been sp spreading all these little stones all over the passing lane. And all of a sudden this guy just pulls out and he passes all of us, throwing up the stones and he's motoring out to the front of the line. And all of a sudden he sees what's going on and he cuts in right behind the pilot vehicle. And all of us in the vehicle, we're just livid. We're right in the middle of this mercy discussion, and we're just livid, and we say, we hope that guy gets punished. I hope that that guy gets a ticket. I hope that if we had known what was happening, we would have pulled out in front of him. We would have cut him off. We would have made him hit the ditch. We would have done, I hope that guy gets punished for what he's doing. And all of a sudden, we got quiet, and somebody said, um, what were we just talking about? And, and we all started chuckling, somewhat embarrassed, because we realized this is just too crazy to be real right now. And I realized it is hard. It is hard to think mercy. In our kingdom, in the kingdom of this earth, in the kingdom of this world, we're not trained to think mercy. Mercy. That's why you can only begin to think this way after you have emptied yourself. After you've taken the first three, four rungs of that ladder. And you've emptied yourself of thinking the way the world thinks. We can't begin to think like the upside down kingdom thinks unless we first empty, empty out how the world thinks. And then we begin to work at filling ourselves with how this upside-down kingdom thinks. How do you get to the point of thinking mercy, the way Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says? Loving mercy. Well, it doesn't happen overnight, I'll tell you that much. 
It's a series of choices and decisions that you make. It's reminding each other. It's calling, holding yourself accountable. You put your heart kind of through a training program. You don't let yourself get away with making judgmental statements. You force yourself to go and apologize to people when you have made judgmental or racist statements. You, you, you got to train yourself. Oh, and, and the last comment here in, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, is pretty critical in this process also. Retraining how we think. Walk humbly with your God. See, that's where this ladder thing comes in again. See, it seems to me that if you go through the first four steps of this ladder, will you not automatically end up with a spirit that is bent towards thinking mercy? If you've acknowledged and accepted and embraced that you are not good enough, and if you've been to a place of mourning, completely empty because of grief and hurt and pain, how could you not, after having experienced that and experiencing what God does for you in that, how could you not, after that, be ready also to show mercy to others? I said that we would also take a look at a New Testament story. By now, uh, we're just going to have time to read the story. And I'm just going to make a couple of comments as we read the story. It's from Matthew chapter 18, and it starts with verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, quickly turn there and you can follow along. A little bit of it's going to be up on the screen also. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. See, Peter is in the driver's seat. He's in the position of authority. He's over his siblings who have done him wrong. He's, he can now say, yes, I will forgive you, or no, this time I'm not forgiving you. And he can kind of hold them down. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, how about 77 times, or 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, and we've been, that's what we've been talking about, the kingdom of heaven, the upside-down kingdom, what it's like. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, the man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That's how they did it in that day and age. They had it coming to them. They owed this. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a few pennies. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant and said, You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Maybe this guy's biggest problem was that he had not actually been through the first four rungs of the ladder. See, he didn't get it. He didn't get mercy. 
He wasn't even thinking mercy. All he could think about was, was what his master had done to him. I don't have to pay that debt. I'm one up. He was not thinking mercy. He was just thinking financial gain. If he'd been through the first four rungs of the ladder, maybe, maybe he could have seen it. If you cannot think mercy toward others, then it may actually be that you are disqualified from being able to receive it yourself. If you can't think mercy toward others, then you can't think mercy toward yourself either. I'm not sure you have what it takes to receive mercy if you haven't been through those first four steps and come to a place of thinking mercy. So, if you remember my introduction story, might be one or two of you that are wondering how that ended. So I pleaded guilty with explanation. I needed to go into a little room. I picked up the phone. I speak to a justice of the peace at the other end of the line. She simply asks me, so tell me your story. And I gave her the story exactly the way I gave it to you at the beginning in my introduction. When I'm done with my little story, she says, well, sir, you have three things going for you. First of all, I know the stretch of road that you're talking about, and I know that it is very difficult to stay at 80 kilometers an hour. Second, you have no traffic violation on record for the past 15 years. Third, you were honest with me. You told me that you knew the speed limit was only 80, and you admitted that you were indeed going 105. So here's what I'm willing to do. I am willing to change the traffic violation to a reprimand. What that means is that it will not go on your driving record. What it also means is that it will cost you $50 instead of $375. And she said, is that acceptable to you? And all I could say is, thank you. Where do I pay? I left that courtroom jumping with excitement because of the mercy that I had been shown. And on my way home, in a construction zone, as I was slowly driving in a long lineup of vehicles following a pilot vehicle, this crazy guy suddenly pulls out and begins passing everyone, throwing up the stones that have just been spread on the road. And I am livid. This guy is nuts. I sure hope he gets caught and heavily fined for such a stupid move. I mean, this is just plain ridiculous. That guy needs to learn a lesson. Well, it wasn't exactly that day on my way home. I'm going to say that is the modern-day equivalent of Jesus' story here in Matthew chapter 18. It is so hard to think mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Amen. Why don't you guys join us for one more song?